Hey, y'all, you should sign up for my Substack. It's scotthortonshow.substack.com. And if you do that, you'll get the interviews a day before everybody else. But not only that, they'll be free of commercials. How do you like that? Pretty good, huh? scotthortonshow.substack.com. All right, y'all, welcome to the Scott Horton Show. I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of antiwar.com, author of the book Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and the brand new Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And I've recorded more than 5,500 interviews since 2003, almost all on foreign policy and all available for you at scotthorton.org. You can sign up for the podcast feed there. And the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com slash Scott Horton Show. All right, you guys on the line, I've got the great Dan McAdams. Of course, he's the director of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity and co-host with Ron Paul of the Liberty Report. Welcome back to the show, Dan. How you doing? Hey, Scott. Thanks so much for having me back on your show. I appreciate it. Hell yeah, man. Love talking to you. And I love reading your stuff, too, because... Uh, well, you just write my own tone of voice. You know, it's great. <laughs> it's WAPO neocon. Oh, I'm sorry. What? It's ticked off tone of voice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Chip on the shoulder. Um, WAPO neocon Josh Rogan, Republicans responsible for Ukraine loss, which before we get into that, I want to say, and I noticed that you say here too somewhere that he ain't the worst one. I'm not sure where your soft spot for Rogan may come from. Mine is that he was really good. Well, he did valuable journalism about the Afghan surge in the early Obama years. And I used to interview him back then and when he was at foreign policy before he went to the post. And I know he's such a hawk on so many things, but I'm curious as to what it is that you don't hate about the guy. <laughs> he isn't the worst, you know, and there are, there are a few things about him. Um, he's first of all, he'll engage you. He'll engage his, his opponents and no neocons do that. You know, they, they think that you are lower than dirt and not even worth their time. But Josh will always respond. And, you know, again, in some way, I, I wish we could convert him to our cause, but I guess that's where his bread is buttered. But he's... Um, there is still good in him. Yeah, there is still good. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. I, I hate to attack him, but, it, you know, because of that, but it's a pretty easy target this time, so I... I have to pick the low-hanging fruit, I guess. And look, it's the Washington Post. You sign yeah. up to work at the Pentagon, you know that it's a military target, you know? That's that's right. It's exactly true. Exactly. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying it's fair. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. No, that's the truth. By the way, I only learned this late in life. You're a earball witness to the attack on the Pentagon. The plane flew right over your house. Is that right? Yeah, it did. Exactly. We were on the top floor of our condo building, and we had a skylight. So I was sitting there having my cup of coffee and this crazy loud sound and a shadow passed over the, uh, the, the skylight. And then we felt the percussion of the, uh, of the arrival. Amazing. So I don't think I've ever asked you about that. I've read that before where you told that to the press at the time. Yeah, it was weird. This tells you how long ago it was. I looked, I looked in the yellow pages for any news. So I found CBS News in the yellow pages. And I called because everyone was saying a bomb went off and I knew it wasn't a bomb because of my vantage point. And so I called just to correct that. Um, but the funny part about this, Scott, 
is that a lot of people, I don't know if it's still true, but a lot of people think that I'm part of the great cover-up conspiracy because I'm the one that said it was a plane when in fact it was a missile. <laughs> you know? So I'm part, I'm part of the deep state conspiracy about 9-11. Yeah, but that's um, how you know it was a plane, not a missile, because Dan McAdams was there, man. Like, If you can't trust Dan McAdams, then pack it in and give it up. Go I mean, take I, a long swim in a deep lake, pal, because it's over. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying I believe the official story about anything, but um, but in this case, I was not. I'm not part of the deep state because of that. I just I just made an observance, and in fact, I did not see a plane, but it certainly sounded like a plane. It, so, it was a plane, know. of course. You know, the real tragedy <laughs> there is the whole red herring about Donald Rumsfeld shooting a missile at his own damn Pentagon while he was sitting in it. Was completely negates the entire question of what do you mean the CIA didn't tell the FBI about the pilots of that plane, yeah. the San Diego cell, the key to the whole damn scandal about, I mean, to whatever degree Saudi and CIA knew about what was going on here. Yeah. Damn it. And instead, yeah. oh, yeah, no, it was a missile. And Dan McAdams is, I guess, part of the Illuminati, too. Good. <laughs> exactly. I'm sitting in here in my gold-filled room. <laughs> All right. Anyway, Mr. Secret Knowledge, clue us in here. Uh, Josh Rogan says, the war in Ukraine is going great, and if it fails, it's because the Republicans are right-wing anti-war hippies who are undermining faith in our men or... Something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think what it I think what it shows, and I think the theme of the past few weeks, and I have to confess, I follow this very closely, I mean obsessively. But you know, things have changed, the tone has changed. There is some concern in Washington, and part of it is the midterm elections with the Republicans taking the House. And by no means are these people anti-war. But as we know, big things happen when a tiny kernel of doubt is uh, is inserted into a house of cards. You know, I'm mixing my metaphors here, but you see what I'm saying. The official story is so weak that any amount of skepticism blows it out of the water, and I think that's why we're seeing some panic. I um, mean, we can talk about this during the course of our discussion, but certainly the Poland missile thing was not what they wanted to have happen at this point because it just magnifies the doubt by a hundredfold. So that's the real danger, I think. Yeah, and you know what's funny about that too is you know, as soon as it happened, it was a fair assumption that whoever did it, it was an accident. Missiles go off target sometimes. Even if it was a Russian missile that did it, they weren't trying to hit a farm and kill two innocent civilians, right? So it just goes to show how prejudiced and, and built up everyone was ready to seize on something like that. Instead yeah. of having the reaction that you or I or I would like to think any normal rational adult would have, which is, all right, everybody be cool. Let's wait and see what happened here. Don't start a thermonuclear war over a couple of farmers as precious as their lives were. This is quite apparently an accident. And then now we know, too, it was a defensive missile that yeah. missed, right? It was it was just a damned accident is all it was. Yeah, I mean, if the if the Ru I mean the Russians are pr pretty aggressive with their weapons, there's no doubt about that. But if they wanted to hit, take out Poland, they would take out some of those air bases where all of these weapons are being staged for delivery into Ukraine. I mean, if you're gonna go, you you you're gonna go. You're not gonna you're not gonna hit a grain silo. So that was that was obvious. And, and to his credit, 
we have to say, thankfully, Biden fell into the category that you discussed of people saying, hang on a minute. This is not this was not cooked into the uh, into the cake here on this one. We don't want to go thermonuclear over this uh, and, and brought us back from the brink. However, our proxy, our little um, our little puppet uh, didn't get the memo or didn't read the memo or didn't care about the memo. And he forgot who was really in charge. And that's why he came out with his. The Russians have attacked NATO. We must do something to stop them right now. And that, of course, was Zelensky. <clears throat> yeah, you would think that he would have better PR guys who would say, hold up now, you're getting too far off the script and looking silly. And in fact, like the Americans complain about that to the Financial Times, that, geez, we'd wish he'd shut up. This is worse than the accidental yeah. missile itself. It's yeah. him continuing to try to pretend that it was the Russians when we already told the whole world it wasn't because we know it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, and the, and the and also the other reports that he he, he tried to call Biden several times. And not only did because apparently from the press reports, usually when he calls and Biden's not available, he gets Sullivan or someone. But this time he got no one. Uh, oh, no really? one picked up the yeah. No one picked up the phone. And I think that is when he got ticked off and went ahead with his crazy statement. And apparently that's when Jake Sullivan called him back and said, cool it, man. Yeah. You know, you better you better chill out here. Well, uh, and so, look, I mean, isn't that sort of the story of the last couple of weeks is that the administration is sending more and more kind of trial balloons up about how they're ready to start talking. They're talking about start and Burns met with what's his name there in Ankara. Yeah. And, and getting a little bit of that right. Uh, uh, General Milley said that, I mean, look, I'm inferring a lot from his statement but when yeah. he said look we done real good in Kurson. let's call that a good day and let's sit down and talk now yeah that sounds to me dan like he's saying you guys are gonna lose mariupol bro we're not yeah. gonna go so far as help you take it back it's time to stop this now that's a pretty damn big deal compared to the official policy still, I believe, is we're going to help them take back every inch of Ukrainian soil, including Crimea. That's what so, Stoltenberg said. You know, yeah. he said there is only a military solution. And sadly, in this case, he's right, but it's not the one he's thinking, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that is why Milley has done this, because there are a lot of bad things about Milley. I mean, we can... Uh, We'll, we'll get Doug McGregor on the line and he'll talk for about an hour about why my Millie is a horrible guy. But Millie also is no dummy. He's a survivor. He's he worked for Trump and Biden and he sees what's coming down the pipe. Uh, and he sees that when you want to talk about maneuver on the battlefield, when you want to talk about air uh, superiority, the Russians have it all. And the Russians have shown that they can simply uh, uh, you know, flip a switch and 100 missiles fly and knock out the entire, you know, the entire infrastructure of the country. Uh, so when they do, uh, if they do decide these 200, 300,000 men, additional men, when they do decide to do something with this, um, it will be, uh, I think, even the Pentagon understands something really bad has happened. And that's why, of course, you call pause when you're about to lose. Hey, guys, let's, sit t let's talk this over. Um, and that's what I think we're seeing here. Uh, from Millie, who certainly has more experience, even for his faults, than a Jake Sullivan, and a lot, a lot better, a lot more wisdom and understanding of how the world works. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. When you got a four star saying "let's chill," and you got the weenie over at the State Department saying "no, let's fight, let's yeah. you and him fight," yeah. then no, the, the the dynamics there are pretty clear. That the and it's just 
remember the anecdotes. This is multiple. In fact, Josh Rogan reported this, um, and so did others. They essentially told the same story. There are two or three different sources for this about how the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the Secretary of Defense, the National Security Advisor, and Deputy National Security Advisor were all against attacking Libya. And then on the other side was the Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton, and the um, ambassador to the UN, Susan Rice, and Samantha Power on the National Security Council. And so you have all, and Gates is saying, look, we were already in two wars. He meant six, but whatever. Yeah. We're already in two major wars, he meant, in Iraq and Afghanistan. You guys want to do a third one now? I was like, look, man, go ahead and hide behind your Secretary of Defense. And just yeah. say, look, my Secretary of Defense, who's a Republican who I inherited from W. Bush, wants me to not do it. That's good enough. Yeah. That's enough to have Gates tell McCain to back off. And McCain will have, right? Like, And instead he did it anyway, because that's what Hillary Clinton wants. It's the same kind of yeah. thing here. Like, look, yeah. the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs says it's time to chill. Good enough for me. <laughs> it, yeah. What took you so long, but fine, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It, you know, I mean, nothing is going to get better there by continuing what's happening. My only objection, and this is just as a non-interventionist, I, I don't want the U.S. to be in the middle of any negotiations. I don't think we should have a role. I don't think we should have ever had a role. We shouldn't have spent these last eight years arming them to the teeth. Um, there would have been a peace. This would have never broken out if it hadn't been uh, for the for the neocons pushing uh, in Ukraine. Uh, they would have had a good relationship with both the EU and with Russia. They would have been trading and they would have been wealthy because that's what happens when you're in the middle of two great powers and you're trading with both of them. <clears throat> but I don't think that we have anything particularly useful other than a venue, right? Maybe um, maybe rent out the Hilton in D.C. or something, Crystal City, and invite them to, to come there and talk. But other than that, I just don't think – I mean our credibility is gone. I mean I think – you know – someone like like Erdogan you know who's kind of a double dealer which can be good and bad um but he's certainly you know uh someone like him I think could be a good intermediary but I just I don't want to see the U.S. take a lead role in facilitating the peace talks between Ukraine and Russia I just don't think it's a good idea yeah that's smart I mean they can at least you know say okay Ukraine now it's time for you to deal we're backing out here yeah leave them completely high and dry they can let them know that it's time for and yeah, and and Erdogan, or even hell, go back to just the Normandy format where it's Germany and France taking the lead. Yeah, and then Britain but, and America and the UN kind of rubber stamp that. Only this time, mean it. Yeah, you know? but I just think, I mean, I think Zelensky is right too. There's not going to be a Minsk three. I mean, because if Putin if Putin accepts a Minsk three, I do think he's going to be in trouble at home because we've already seen what happened to Minsk two uh, that was supposed to be guaranteed by those same Normandy powers that wasn't. Right. So it's it's the dynamics are going to be very different uh, at the negotiating table if it comes to that this time. And it's going to be basically like Zelensky, if it still is Zelensky there, sign on this line and we'll stop bombing you. You know, uh, this is what it's going to be. And the sad thing is, you know, A, okay, we know this could have been avoided, of course. If we'd simply listened to Putin when he was talking last year about security guarantees and a new security architecture in that part of the world – but it's certainly in the spring, if it wasn't for Bojo, the clown, could have ended. And yes, Russia may have gotten the Donbass back, uh, which of course only was became part of Ukraine in 1922, not that long ago under Lenin. Um, they may have gotten that back and it would have stopped there. 
but no, they had to keep pushing because this is a different kind of war. It's a regime change war against Russia. And this is what the neocons like Newland and Blinken have always wanted. They're getting their war. But as usual, and I touched upon it in the, in the Rogan piece, as usual, they botched the whole thing up and it ends up in disaster. Yeah. And of course, as usual, the Republicans are insisting that Biden do more, spend more, giving yeah. him more money than he asks for, insisting that he's not really doing enough and he should expand what kind of weapons and all these things. Mitch McConnell, he might as well be John McCain. He just yeah. don't yell. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's it's a pretty unlikely hero that's emerging in Marjorie Taylor Greene, who, <laughs> who I... I <laughs> I have to admire her moxie. I don't follow her that closely, but when she when she's on your side, she's not a bad ally because she's a very plain spoken person. And you know, she has uh, introduced legislation to to audit the money that's gone to Ukraine so far. And I think that's a smart move. And obviously, that's what Senator Paul wanted to do back when we did that forty billion yeah. uh, a few months ago. Uh, you know, and an audit is a good way of just bringing it to the table. Uh, Where did this money go? What's this relationship between this FTX? And money going to Ukraine and money going to Democrat and Republican lawmakers. You know, let's let's look into some of this stuff. So I think that's pretty important. And you're right. Most Republicans are mad at Biden because he didn't go harder and faster. But there is a small group. And as we know, it only takes a small group. It doesn't take a right. majority. Get 10 members together saying, we want to know what this is all about. And then that people will start paying attention, I think. Yeah. And then there is, you know, after avoiding a thermonuclear holocaust, is the second most important question, which is, can there be a real civil war inside the Republican Party between people who kind of mouth America first and people who mean it? And yeah. that's a hell of a road to hoe. I know you know as well as I do just how bad the GOP has always been on this stuff for eons now. Yeah, but and we, we, I mean, we can't pretend that we have anything, <clears throat> when I say we, I'm not a member of the party, but we can't remember that, they, we, we can't, you know, feel like there's anything like a majority that have our point of view when it comes to foreign policy. But right. there are a few, and that's better than it's been, I would say, since since Ron Paul was in, yeah. and he put together his liberty group of, you know, 15 or 20 members who every week, and it was so helpful because every week they met behind closed doors, what went on, what was said there, stayed there. And they were able to express their misgivings about Iraq together. They were all Republicans in a comfortable setting. And they knew that no one was going to start yapping afterwards. Uh, and that really helped build serious and significant opposition to the Republican Party uh, to, to the uh, ongoing Iraq debacle and even Afghanistan. Yeah. So it doesn't take much. <laughs> yeah, look, and out of many, many things, I believe this is Ron Paul's greatest legacy was letting right-wingers know that you don't have to believe in this stuff, man. I sure as hell don't. <laughs> and that was just, you know, a permission slip, a hall pass. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing left-wing about this, not from this guy. And so then it's just a matter of like, come on, you really believe in George Bush and Dick Cheney and this aggressive war, this absolute debacle by any measure? Come on. And... Once he said that it's okay for you to feel that way, it was like, uh, you know, well, you saw it, it was, and you were right there. It went from thousands of us to millions of us. Yeah. And just, just in that Ron Paul 2007-2008 revolution, man, that's something else. It really was. And, you know, I, we worked hard to get the right speakers 
and I worked with Kent Snyder, uh, the late Kent Snyder, but we worked hard to get Republican speakers, especially military men. We got, we, I won't say the name, but we had a three-star general there uh, who was very well respected among, among Republicans. And, and we never had anyone, and it was, no, it was not because of any prejudice, but we never had anyone on, on the left because the point was to show Republican members that there are Republican experts out there uh, that think this is a disaster, you know, and that's that's why it worked. I mean, sometimes you have to be partisan, and that's what the idea of the lunches were, and that's why they worked so well, I think. Yeah. Hey, y'all, Scott Horton here for Tennessee Hot Sauce Company. Man, this stuff is so good. They get all different flavors. Garlic habanero, honey habanero, pineapple habanero, poblano jalapeno, and the blood orange ghost. They're all so good, I swear. And for a limited time, Tennessee Hot Sauce Company is featuring official Scott Horton Hotter Than the Sun thermonuclear hot sauce. It's full of Carolina Reapers, Scorpion Peppers, Dr. Pepper, Hydrogen Isotopes, and all kinds of things that'll burn your tongue clean off. Seriously, it's really good. Get yourself a hot sauce subscription. Spend $40 or more and use promo code SCOTT to get a free bottle of Hotter Than the Sun hot sauce. That's tnhotsauceco.com. Hey, y'all got to check out these awesome busts of our hero, the great Ron Paul. They're made by the renowned sculptor Rick Casali. They're 13 inches tall, hand-painted bronze resin based on Casali's brilliant original. Y'all may have seen mine in the background on my bookshelf in some recent interviews. The thing is unbelievable. Check out this incredible piece of art at rickcasali.com slash ronpaul, and you'll see what I mean. Use promo code Horton and you'll save 25 bucks, and this show will get a little kickback too. That's rickcasali.com slash ronpaul. Casali is C-A-S-A-L-I. rickcasali.com slash ronpaul. And there's free shipping, too. So this is what's funny, right, is about Josh Rogan's framing of it. It's like, oh, you have these right-wing extremist anti-war forces. I was like, well, I mean, what does that even mean? All that really means is if you stand for something, then you'll start to get suspicious about things pretty quick. Because it's pretty obvious that everything in the common consensus is not truly on the up and up the way that they say it's unavoidable, right? Yeah. I mean, this will go down as one of the, one of the biggest debacles of the entire, I mean, since the Iraq war, this plowing of hundred, a hundred million, hundred billion, excuse me, a hundred billion dollars into this, into this basically regime change operation against Russia. Um, if it ever comes out, if people ever start understanding it, it's going to be looked at as one of the most idiotic things in history and one of the most dangerous things in history. I mean, Iraq couldn't have launched a nuclear weapon against us. Russia can. <laughs> so that's that's one reason why we should not be worrying about regime changing them. Yeah. Well, elaborate on what you mean about this policy being about regime change in Moscow there. Well, that's, I mean, that, that's, to me at least, that's clearly what it's about. It's not about Ukraine. I don't believe that for a second that Blinken and, and Newland and the others give a darn about Ukraine at all. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been pushing them to do something so blatantly stupid like taking on Russia. Uh, it's a, it, was a, it was a dumb move. And they'll say, oh, yeah, Russia, in, Russia invaded. Yes, that is true. Technically, on February 24th, they did cross over. But for eight years, Ukraine, Kiev was shelling eastern Ukraine. That's objectively true. Um, in the days before Russia went in, we know from the OSCE monitoring that, you know, that uh, shelling had increased significantly, like by 100%. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but shelling had increased Ukraine. That is Kiev's shelling. Donbass had increased. They were pushing and pushing and pushing, expecting that Russia would not 
act. And, and I will admit I was wrong. I did not think Russia would go in because I've always viewed Putin as being, despite what, what his detractors say, very conservative. And in fact, his opposition in Russia are not people who think he does too much, but people who think he does too little and is not as aggressive as he should be. So I thought that inherent conservatism in terms of foreign policy action would have prevented him from doing it. I, under, I, 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 I did not understand properly how critical this issue was to them. So the, the goal has always been to get rid of Putin, to, to, to divide up Russia uh, like they did to Yugoslavia and to put a U.S. puppet in there. And it's just certainly at this time, it's not something that will work and it's backfiring and it's backfired. And the victims are by and large the Ukrainian people who are, you know, freezing to death right now. Yeah, seriously. I mean, including the soldiers too, but uh, this is something like 100,000 people have been killed in this thing. I don't know. High yeah. tens anyway. Um, For sure. And, you know, most of them, despite what's said, are, are dying on the Ukrainian side. You know, where they're now starting to um, conscript people that are over 40, uh, you know, because they've lost all the young people. Uh, they've all, you know, they've all been killed. Uh, you, you, you know, there certainly Russians have suffered and have died. That's, there's no question about that. But even people like Colonel McGregor talk about like a 10 to 1 ratio. So when you're, when you're losing, when you're bleeding to that level, that certainly would be a sign to me that it's time to, to, to rethink this whole thing. Yeah. Well, I know he and uh, Daniel L. Davis both agree that there's this massive offensive, at least being prepared. I don't know about crystal ball, you know, when they're going to pull the trigger on it, but Davis talked about, you know, massive fuel resources being stationed just on the other side of the line and this kind of thing. And that we haven't really seen, I know there've been some reports about, Oh, some reinforcements here and there, but evidently, according to the, these two experts, we haven't seen the 300,000 reserves that were called up in action at all or the difference that i guess they would take the place of the active duty military and then those guys would be freed up to go to the front then so somewhere around a couple of hundred thousand men supposedly are just waiting for the ground to be frozen solid so they don't have to worry about getting stuck in the mud and then they have the free reign of the place they don't have to stick to the roads and they can go in on a massive offensive and that that's essentially looming right now so i don't yeah. know exactly the truth of that but if you just look at the map, you can tell how much bigger Russia is. And I know a lot of that's deceptive because it's Siberia and it's that weird map where it makes Russia look bigger than it really is. <laughs> but still, in terms of GDP and in terms of manpower, in terms of ability to turn out shells, I don't know exactly. I mean, after all, they've held out for almost a year, you know, yeah. and America and, and our allies do have a hell of a lot of money and weapons to pour in there. And they've had months and months to train up some forces to to use some of this heavier equipment or you know longer range and uh, more sophisticated equipment in the war. So I don't really know how to measure all those things myself, but certainly it looks like right now the Russians don't have the ability, or at least they have not yet deployed the ability to take as much of the east as they want. They've had to withdraw, you know, in major places. On the other hand. Nobody believes, and the, the Biden government told the Washington Post, nobody believes that the Ukrainians have the ability to force them all the way out either. Yeah. So, yeah. looks like, I know where there's an oak table y'all could sit down at, right? There's, there's no other option here, really. The line is only going to change a little bit. But this has to come down to negotiation now, don't you think? 
Well, you know, a couple of things there. First of all, I mean, the Russians are very risk averse when it comes to losing personnel. And I think that's why we're not seeing this, you know, grinding. And, and, and the way they're fighting this war right now is to grind Ukraine down uh, into the ground. And that's working pretty well. They have the ability to hit anything, anywhere uh, they want to. So why would you send 100,000 men to get crushed when you can slowly grind? I know the colonel has said this. I'm not a military strategist. He is. And he said there's this weird idea among people who are not military people that taking and holding territory is the key to winning a war. He said that's not the case. The way to win a war is to grind your enemy down right. uh, and destroy your enemy. And that seems to be what's happening right now uh, and what they're doing. And you don't see, I mean, you're right. I mean, in Kherson uh, and, and up north in Kharkov, those were both taken because the Russians withdrawed, withdrew instead of standing and fighting um, because they, they viewed it as untenable to try to hold this territory. But in the process uh, at least from everything that I've read, they lost an enormous amount of, of military personnel. Uh, and that those can't be replaced. Uh, so it's, um, I mean, for the Ukrainians, I mean, at some point, there's going to be pressure maybe from his own people. Although, as soon as anyone stands up and says anything, they get cut down. He's How many parties, political parties has he banned? Like eight or nine parties <laughs> so far. Um, but at some point, his own people are going to get tired of what's happening. Uh, and maybe that's where the pressure will come from. Or, you know, like always happens, the U.S. government will just cut their cut their puppet loose. Uh, you know, all of these guys work for us. Noriega, Saddam, Gaddafi, they were all our guys until we decided to cut the strings. And that may be what happens. And I think we're seeing a hint of that. I mean, the guy's becoming a liability. He's becoming unhinged. And I think obviously now we're seeing that even the White House is angry and perhaps even embarrassed uh, by the real Zelensky without his, um, what is that thing that saints have over their head, right? That's getting tarnished. <laughs> yeah, seriously. All right, now let me change the subject on you here for a minute. I see that you and Ron did an episode here about this FTX thingamajig, and I'm sorry I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but I'm interested in what you guys found about just exactly what was going on with this thing. Apparently it was involving a lot of money laundering for the Democrats or some kind of deal. Yeah. And it's hard and we didn't pretend to have the answers. And that's why the title of the show was a question, but you know, a, a lot of the stuff we were reading, it looks like a classic kind of Ponzi and, and money laundering scheme whereby, you know, uh, us foreign aid, i.e. taxpayers money uh, went to Ukraine, Ukraine invested heavily into FTX uh, and then that money ended up in the campaign funds of not only Democrats, but primarily Democrats. Some Republicans got the money as well. But, you know, the, this this fellow uh, Freed was a uh, bankman. Freed was, as you know, the second largest donor to the Democrat Party after George Soros. So we're talking 50, 40, 50 million bucks uh, he spent on Democrat candidates. So, I mean, it's, I forget who else said this, but, you know, there was a time where there would be the Washington Post or New York Times all over this story. I mean, if, if we were living in a normal era, there's a Pulitzer out there just waiting to be snatched, digging into the, 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 uh, what was happening really behind the scenes on all this. But as it stands, and even Elon Musk said this, he said, citizen journalists on Twitter are doing a better job uncovering the details at FTX than the so-called mainstream media. Uh, so that's unfortunately, and I can't, 
I can't believe uh, that if it wasn't, if you know, I hate this word aboutism, but if it wasn't a Republican, if it was, say it was Trump and his family that were involved in this somehow, we would see finally the sleeping, uh, the sleeping giant at the Washington Post awaken and begin to relearn critical journalistic skills, investigative skills. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this. Um, and I know you just said you ain't the expert and I'm not trying to put you on the spot about it or whatever, but I just saw a thing just going around everywhere about how the money that this guy was raising and sending to Ukraine, that it was all somehow being funneled back to the Democrats. But I never saw a source for that part. Now I wonder if yeah. you ever saw anything that was saying that. Well, no, I mean, that's what needs to be dug up. I mean, that's what was said. It's been said by several people that have looked into it. Um, but see, I know, never found that. All I found was people claiming that, but without claiming that they were the ones who discovered it and here's how they know or anything like that. Yeah. And it just seemed like, um, he was, he was funneling money from wall street and from whatever, you know, suckers out in sucker land into the Democrats and into Ukraine. But what was the part about the money from Ukraine going back to the Democrats? I never saw, I never saw that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it needs to be investigated. And again, that's why we have a question mark. Yeah. Because we were talking about, here's what people are claiming, you know, it should be looked at. I mean, you should look at more of, of, of what's going on here. There's clearly a lot more than meets the eye. I mean, people have said that this really, the, the Madoff scandal is paled in comparison by the, the, the depth of this. They had, they had like 600 grand in cash or in, in actual assets but it was like like six or seven billion uh, on the books that they had. I mean, it's just it's just crazy, crazy numbers. Yep. Um, yeah. Well, and all of this is as Doctor Paul would teach us. This is all bubble activity, man. When yeah. the economy is just frothing with all this artificially expanded bank credit and government spending. And just led to these massive bubbles all over the place, along with the widespread price inflation. You have these massive bubbles that are being corrected all over the damn place, you know? Yeah. And also the stakes are so high in politics. Why would you why would you spend like 30 million or 50 million or whatever they spend on some seat that pays 170 grand a year? You know, I mean, it's it's because of the stakes. And I, I just got an email from a good friend of mine, Winslow Wheeler. And I show you, I'm sure you know Winslow. Oh, yeah. But he wrote a nice little e email talking about you know, Politico, which he said he used to have a lot of respect for. But they're literally sponsored by Lockheed Martin. I've they seen worked, that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you saw they had this conference where they worked with Lockheed Martin to put on a at a crossroads, America's defense strategy. And the whole thing was a puff, you know, a puff event for Lockheed Martin. You know, I mean, it's just it's just unbelievable. The deep, deep corruption and the the strength of the military manufacturers uh, in D.C. They're the ones that make the policy, you know, uh, yeah. our foreign policies for sale. And they're the ones that are, you know, they were kind of denied that for two years during COVID. It was the medical tyranny, the medical industrial complex that got the money. And now they're roaring back with a vengeance to get their fair share. Yeah. Well, you know, um, everybody can look up Andrew Coburn at Harper's Magazine where he talks about his uh, source was at a breakfast among a bunch of corporate, uh, you know, whatever, chieftain guys there in Crystal City, right outside. Of, that's like where all the Pentagon tied businesses are and stuff. Yeah. And that when they heard that, oh, the little green men have left their bases and are seizing the Crimean Peninsula, they all toasted and celebrated. They were, I believe the word is ecstatic. 
something very close to that um as they you know clink their orange juice glasses and celebrated that like get it get it it's a whole new cold war right yeah, party time they're imagining an entire generation or two or three more of endless face-off cold war brinksmanship with russia and all of that free money that's yeah. all they care about humanity even surviving the century be damned you know yeah that's why I've, I've always felt we have to decouple uh the middle america with the idea that supporting this this thuggery is patriotic yeah. uh the military industrial complex uh, even if you love that military and love them soldiers guess what these guys couldn't care less about the soldiers that that's a joke to them you know it's all about getting richer than they are and if, if as soon as we can convince middle america of this that's i think when we're going to start to turn the corner yeah listen there's a famous quote of henry kissinger saying that military men this is a quote of henry kissinger don't anybody <laughs> steal this out of context that military men are big dumb animals to be used in foreign policy and then that just sounds crazy you really say that big dumb animals i don't know but then guess who the source is alexander haig and then guess what kissinger didn't deny it <laughs> so if you look yeah. into that that's yeah. a pretty damn legit quote that he really yeah. said that that's the national security advisor secretary of state of the united states yeah the deep state i mean no wonder the soldiers loved ron paul so much he didn't feel that way <laughs> yeah seriously and you know what i'm really glad you brought that up because it took me a while to get my head around this i don't know maybe a soldier just outright said this to me and i later remembered it as an insight but I finally figured it out about how regular government employees, they don't give a damn about their oath to the Constitution. That doesn't mean a thing. That's just a thing you say while you check a box and get your job and whatever. You yeah. know, like uh, citizens don't have to take an oath to the Constitution. It's the law that binds the power of state actors. You know, it's the limit of their yeah. power. And so that's why we make them take that oath. It doesn't mean a damn thing to some guy at the IRS or the Department of uh, Housing and Urban Development or your local police department. But to these soldiers, this is sacred like baby Jesus. This is everything because yeah. they're risking everything, killing people and risking being killed. In fact, seeing their buddies killed right in front of their eyes. And they're doing it all in the name of that oath. Or at least they're putting it on the line to do it in the name of that oath. So to them, that oath to the Constitution and the Constitution itself is a whole different thing. It might as well be the Ten Commandments come from the Mount, right? This yeah. is a sacred obligation that they have taken to defend it, they think, with fire, right? And then... By the time Ron Paul comes to public attention in 2008, they know they've been used. They know they've been taken advantage of. You send me to Iraq to protect my mama and sister? Liar. Yeah. You know, and they knew it. And then they needed a Republican to be able to say that it was okay for them to say it too. And then just like you say, and for people who don't know, Ron Paul raised more money from active duty and retired military during 2008 and 2012 than all the other Republican candidates. And in 12 you could include Obama on the other side and yeah, compare combined. his donations and add his donations to the rest of the Republicans. And Ron still beat them because he stood for the constitution for real. He stood for what those men thought that they were swearing their oath to. 
Yeah, exactly. I can't add anything to that, Scott. That's extremely well put. <laughs> Good old Ron Paul. I love that guy. I'm so jealous of you. you get to hang out with him every day. <laughs> he's um, a very funny guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's great in every way. All right, listen, man. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. I always appreciate your insight, and uh, I love this article, taking Josh Rogan to task. He deserves it. WAPO Neocon. Josh Rogan, Republicans responsible for Ukraine loss. Yeah, right. And uh, we republished that too at antiwar.com. Thanks very much, Dan. Thanks, Scott. Thanks so much. The Scott Horton Show, Antiwar Radio, can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, APSradio.com, antiwar.com, scotthorton.org, and libertarianinstitute.org.